I was in Newport in Wales last March with Emma and I was staying there for a couple of nights and she was premiering a short solo flute piece. And uh, so she was very uh, gung-ho about commissioning me for a piece for flute and piano. And when I heard that it was her and David Adams, I was absolutely thrilled. And I thought, yeah, that's actually something I've never done before. And it really felt like a fresh idea for me. Uh, and I thought, you know, because I'd written an awful lot of solo unaccompanied pieces for things, bassoon, uh, flute, trombone, a whole series of these things. And I sort of thought, well, yeah, actually, let's go back to the old, you know, instrument plus piano. Uh, I just felt that's really good timing for, for what I want to be doing next. So the piece itself is based on three poems. And the, the, the I guess the you could say that the, the structure of the piece is, is also based on, on those three poems. Maybe tell me about those three poems and why you chose them and why they're important to you. Yeah, well, first of all, you mentioned structure. So I'll talk about structure before I talk about the poems briefly, because the I sort of had this idea from Emma herself that there would be a section or a movement for alto flute. And then I thought, I want this piece to be 10 minutes nonstop. So I thought, how do I really deal with that? So I ended up, um, so we have the normal flute in C, uh, and then it, there's continuous music by dint of the piano carrying on on its own, and the flute switch is made, and she plays another movement in alto flute, and then another bit uh, where there's a chance for her to switch back to uh, the flute in C. So I wanted this sense that the tension of the piece was a unity in time and that you don't get a chance to sort of stop and we don't have the likes of clapping or, or even the temptation to do so. So there hopefully wouldn't be any break in concentration and yet beside that point it's essentially like three movements or even you can almost see it it will be heard possibly as four movements because the first movement is this kind of two-parter job with a very contrasting pair of sections. And so, so those kind of um, tremendously old-fashioned ideas of balance come into play. But the but on the poems side, which is where, what you originally started off as, I was thinking about things that tied me to Emma or things that we had in common that I discovered in a short period of two days in Wales. And uh, well, what that was, was that she had a teenage son who I chatted to a lot and she said, oh, you know, you're getting on so well in Greece, etc. Et and then Actually, she came over to me in August and he and they met my two uh, lads as well, who also got on very well. So I, I had this thing of, um, well, it wouldn't be nice to use this kind of youthful mind as a sort of a linking theme. And once I had this youthful mind thing going, I, I started to sort of things like, uh, some, well, one thing popped into my head, which was something from May of this year that I had discovered. And this was... Well, a discovery. I, I was in Edgewardstown in County Longford, and I had I was there working for the Royal Irish Academy of Music, and I I thought, well, you know, a few hours off in the evenings, what am I going to do? Or and I discovered that uh, Oscar Wilde's sister Isola Wilde is buried in St John's Churchyard in Edgewardstown, and the funny thing there was that well, of course, I read up on this. Uh, like a tourist, you know, as it were, researching local history uh, initially while I was there. And um, I was really gripped by this story of Oscar Wilde because I didn't know this until that point, which was that he had a sister 
who died at the age of 10 when he was 12. So they were very close in And hence the title of this piece is, in fact, is a little right. It really hit me as, wow, imagine if you were a young person and this happened, a sibling dies. And uh, there was some material out there uh, when you Google it up about how Oscar Wilde, uh, that his, his, this may have driven his writing, this, this theme of each man kills the thing he loves. Themes like that, which come into his writing, seem to be traceable back to guilt or blame that he felt about the sister dying. And it was a recorded fact that he used to stand over the grave at Edwardstown for hours upon hours. There's this poem, Requiescat, which he wrote when he was about 26, which is directly about standing over the grave of your dead sister, so to speak, except he generalizes it. He just, it seems to be a dead young girl. And the second movement is called Chiuso per Restori, which again, is from a poem by McDowell Woods, but is not the title of that poem. And the third movement is called, confusingly, First, because that is the title of the poem by Leland Bardwell that is connected to that final movement. So um, what they all have in common, uh, they're really very um, reflective on, the, on themes of aging or death, but from a, well, kind of from either a young perspective or a sons and fathers kind of perspective. I, I guess it's because of my own rocky start in life that I think when I think of the mindset of uh, a delicate stage of, of, well, I suppose you call it adolescence or growing up or whatever, of coming of age is that nice phrase. You, for me, it's always a sequence of sort of body blows to the gut <laughs> where it's like, oh, that was when that happened. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, you didn't think life was going to throw that at you, did you? And so that's, I guess that's what happens to me when I think of, of youth. And when I think of what I would like to tell young people uh, by way of advice, those are just the things that get you up in the morning and sit you in front of a piece of paper or the computer. You kind of go, right, this is important because I have a, a mood or a theme or an emotion that I really want to include in the notes. It means that you're trying to pull out of the notes that you're putting down. You're trying to pull some emotion out of them or some poignancy uh, that you might be tempted to ignore if you were just writing a very abstract piece or a very cold piece. So it, it so talk to me a little bit more about that, about, uh, you know, basing an instrumental piece on poetry. Tell me some of the, you know, some of the, I guess, the reasons behind that, which you already just began to get to go into, and also how that affects your compositional approach. I don't base an awful lot of instrumental music on poetry and I, I wouldn't even necessarily base instrumental music on outside things I might sometimes use some terrible event that's after happening in the news or something to motivate me to create a mood that perhaps motivates me or, or that I want somehow to be marinated inside the notes it's to create a consistency of mood every time you sit down from day to day uh, and to create obviously a an overarching color or an overarching well, mood is not the only word, isn't it? But there are other times when I'm resistant to the idea that music should be doing that sort of thing, you know. I'm a great believer in music just being music after all. I'm a great admirer of Bach, and although Bach, of course, would himself have probably said, Oh, everything I do is for the glory of God, as I've told you many times. <laughs> so like he, he has an agenda. <laughs> Let's not pretend he doesn't. But at the same time, we all admire his music uh, as a beautiful thing uh, based on its own inherent abstract abstract values of, of uh, 
what are fundamentally almost like the beauty of mathematics, but in sound. Really, these these kind of ideas, you often use them as a way of maintaining this particular mood or particular approach when it, when it comes to you know your 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 work on on the on the piece. Like every day, you're you're you know you're different. You're you know you feel different. You know your energy levels are different. So I suppose yeah. if you're working on the one piece that is conveying something, whatever it is you've decided to 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 convey uh, or, or the approach, you have to go back into that mindset every time you sit down in front of the computer to continue on the piece. It's an interesting point that you make that um, there must be a, a challenge to sitting down day after day in the same piece and being dedicated back into the same piece and not accidentally turning it into a different piece without even noticing you're doing it. I remember having those kind of thoughts when I was a very young and beginning composer, but I very quickly got in, you know, I would say quite early on into the way of sitting down and picking up the thread exactly where I left it and being very confident that I was still writing the same piece and looking for the same solutions to get to the next place or out the other side. Writing for the flute, how do you find it? This for me is quite an important point about this piece and that is that um, in a lot of pieces I've written, I've just written notes and rhythms and dynamics. In other words, uh, I've I've often had a, you know pieces where there might be some extended techniques, but they don't dominate. So in this piece, uh, Isola, I actually, I actually thought, right, I don't want the flute to sound too beautifully classical with nice vibrato and fantastic tone all the time. I'm going to go more into uh, a more, actually a sort of um, edgy kind of uh, sound. So there's a lot of calling in the score for air sounds or halfway to air sound. In the final movement, I just simply put on the instruction sort of jazz rock feel, overblowing like a jazz rock feel, and you'd know exactly what that means. It's a sort of Ian Anderson of jazz or total sound or, or jazz flute often has this quality. And again, classical players probably, some of them would rear up and go, yeah, what an old rotten old cliche, <laughs> please don't make me do that. But I just, I, I wanted these kind of sounds, you know, I, I, I really wanted this kind of, uh, a bit gutsier, I suppose. And the very first movement is that there's an awful lot of, uh, in that case, the liminal issue is that the flute and piano become further apart because the piano typically just produces a very clear sound. Uh, and then the flute has this kind of wispier uh, quality. So they're really quite far apart. And yet they're interlocking in, in, in rapid rhythmic environments. So they're, they're tied up uh, for three solid minutes next part of that is that there's uh, there's a lot of extended techniques on the piano and the flute is do, dealing with a lot of um, uh, whisper tones, whistle tones and uh, harmonics and it's, 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 there's an improvised section for both instruments with these kind of extended techniques and um, the idea there is that it becomes kind of um, they, they lose touch with each other yeah. with, with each other it becomes a sort of metaphor. I mean, it could be read as a metaphor for um, the, the relationship is suddenly sundered. All the fun has suddenly gone and been sucked out of the room, and instead you have this kind of what's after happening mood, you know. So it, it sounds very like a sort of like I've got a little theatrical plot going there. But really, it's it's very very straight musically in the sense that you can have a build up to a point and crunch, and something very radically changes. And I've done that in abstract pieces, you know. So for me, I was very comfortable doing that. It wasn't like oh, I'm now 
that wasn't the case if I was going out of my comfort zone. When it comes to the 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 audience and how it, how they receive your your music, do you do you prefer them to have information on the piece in other words like the you know some context as to why you wrote the piece what what's behind it or 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 does that does that matter to you it does and i if you'd have asked me when i was in my 20s i'd have had a different answer to i have now um so i guess when i was full of the joys of structuralism as a as a youngster uh, i was a great believer in just oh let the music speak for itself everyone should be able to just listen to music and let the musical shape go into their ears and experience the beauty of that and you're fine that's all you need but of course through actual experience of running concerts of being involved in giving little speeches before concerts i've come to realize that it's in a massive difference uh, for the typical concert goer if you have something to say beforehand and if that's something to say is something they can understand uh, that is so much better than saying okay folks just listen to the music and see what you get. <laughs> you know? But actually, nowadays, I think, gosh, it's fantastic and positive to warn them about certain aspects. Like, say, for example, if a piece is going to be 20 minutes long, tell them it's 20 minutes long. It really helps. You know, you can really lose your audience by, by not giving them uh, a modicum of information. Having some extra musical stuff, it's, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Like, if you start to say, oh, well, imagine this is like two people having a fight outside a pub and that's what I'm thinking of when I write this piece. Then they'll just run a little film in their heads and they'll the image part of their brain will take over from the ear part of their brain. It is an interesting area and of course it's not by any means resolved uh, into one obvious course of action that always works, but I'm a great believer in talking. You should always remember why am I talking, who am I talking to? And the why is to make the piece come across better and the who is like what do they already know? Uh, music and in, in in nine times out of ten the answer to that is assume they don't know any specialized musical knowledge so yeah it's valid to talk about some images or some moods or some inspirations but you also have to well you don't have to but you might also put in the caveat that you know at the same time at the end of the day perhaps it is just notes and rhythms and uh, you might have a different interpretation 